First of all, happy June and let summer commence immediately. Uh, Secondly, just kind of a precursor to everything I'm about to say on this show today, uh, the Big Facts podcast, welcome back, is if you don't like the show, don't listen. I don't care about feelings, I care about facts, Uh, hence the name. Uh, Because feelings without facts is senseless chaos. And facts enable us to feel correctly with a strong base and leads us to develop proper perspective. Uh, So there's a lot to get to today. Um, Could be a long one, but I don't care. I'm going to say it. I think it needs to be said. I'd like to start, uh, though, with China. Uh, President Trump recently this week came out with three accusations and four actions uh, to kind of curtail what they've been doing lately. Number one, he called them out for violating a treaty with Hong Kong. Uh, And then number two, making a claim in the Pacific for territory that the U.N. had already deemed unlawful. And number three, he said that they instigated a global pandemic with the loss of a million lives and must be held accountable. And the world demands an answer for that. So obviously, those three actions are um, just not going to sit well with the Chinese. That's going to really bring shame to them. They're going to try to take precautions against that. So that coinciding with what's going on in in our country right now kind of just makes us a laughing stock of the world, and especially China, uh, where they can't take it seriously. But more on that later. Uh, So on to the actions. Uh, Firstly, he terminated Hong Kong's special status, no longer calling them autonomous, based on the breaching of an 84 treaty with the Great Britain Minister Margaret Thatcher, um, saying they can have all sorts of various freedoms which have since been eroded by the Chinese Communist government, such as making their own leader, not a communist, or even from mainland China. Um, A second action he took is he terminated the WHO membership of the United States and elected to use the $4 million annually allotted for that uh, organization to our own global health system of sorts, So, by the way, the WHO had been terribly mismanaged and manipulated by Chinese cohorts. And so this was a good thing. Uh, Again, just basic common sense stuff that Trump has done to help mitigate the economic and social disasters that the previous administration propagated. Um, By the way, uh, the third thing he did, no longer giving a waiver of disclosures and auditing, Uh, to the more than 150 companies in our New York Stock Exchange markets, the Chinese companies, Uh, which is something that Obama actually did, gave them a complete pass, just wrote them a waiver with the help of of Biden in 2013. Fourthly, the action that Trump took this week is effective immediately. Students within Chinese military-tied organizations can no longer come here and have to go home. So hopefully all the spying and stealing, which is ridiculous, will begin to put a stop to this. He also was quoted as saying, we built China over the last 30 years with our capital. And so they've been stealing and Trump has decided to take a stand. Uh, He's no longer going to allow our country to be bullied and and, uh, quietly bullied and taken advantage of. Um, So... I I love a lot about China. I lived there for two years, as many of you know, who may listen. I still have friends there. I want to go back there. I'd like to keep in touch with them and um, 
That, that in no way says that I'm in favor of open borders uh, being trampled on by heavily, unf- heavily unfair policies or that I don't put America first. We can and should operate in a friendly but fair relationship. If it's not going to be fair, then it needs to be fixed. So having said that, um, if you know from my Facebook profile picture, it, it's been changed for several months now. It says China 2021. I've been planning to go back uh, take one of the trips that's similar to what Paul describes in the New Testament of just going back to visit churches and encourage Christians and to uh, perhaps meet new contacts in, in uh, terms of building relationship for church partnership. That trip may be altogether in jeopardy as it currently stands. But I'm not scared, and I would go back. Um, but the Lord's will be done. We had good relationships uh, relations with China as a country since 1970 when Nixon went to Beijing. But things have drastically changed since Trump has decided, rightly, to no longer allow us to sit back and be surpassed as the world's greatest nation by taking advantage of us, using our own resources, mind you. Um, so there's, that's just something I wanted to, to just kind of start with, and there's more that could be said or, or dived into, but there's just too much else to say. Um, also, sometime in the future, just a heads up, I'm looking to do some kind of benefit concert with song requests. I've been kind of considering that and thinking about um, some ways to raise funds that would hopefully benefit others. So a lot of the requests that you don't get to hear at church or your, your uh, congregation isn't singing, let me know what they are and I will sing them as best I can, or get people that can sing better than me to come sing with me and do that. Benefit concert coming toward the end of 2020. Also, Smule is pretty cool. I don't know if you've heard of that. I just discovered that as I was searching for apps at the beginning of the coronavirus and the lockdown that simultaneously ensued. But basically, you can karaoke with anyone on any song for free, with or without video in the world. So I pumped out uh, like 35 songs with random people across the globe. Uh, Search me and laugh if you want to, but I'm just having fun. All right, we've got to talk about George Floyd. Just the name itself probably triggers some kind of emotion in you right now, and rightly so. But I looked into this after a little while of trying to see what was going on and just how much overwhelming material was being pumped out by social media. I kind of tried to look into the situation and find the facts before I reacted. Um, George Floyd probably was rightly arrested. It appears that he may have been trying to uh, use a fake $20 bill or, or whatever, but what he did, I guess, is not nearly as relevant at this point. But, but why arrest him and then walk him across the street? I didn't understand that. Were they trying to get away from cameras or what? Why then, why then did a 19-year cop from Minnesota stay on his neck with his knee for four minutes? I understand that 12 complaint reports against him were filed, uh, but I don't know if that's the norm either in the police world. Uh, somebody that's been there 19 years, I know a lot of people that could make complaints about me, and I still sometimes get false accusations. 
probably could be accused of some things I'm not accused of. But why then are three other cops close to him and also ignoring the situation, including cries of, I can't breathe, officer, or you're hurting me, or whatever? Now, as a teacher, I know how sometimes people can act and fake. But come on, I think that in this situation, it seemed real the whole way. It seemed real. I mean, you could kind of see he was in no position to be a threat from his face down on the ground for that long. Also, uh, it appears that they may have worked at the same nightclub. That's very suspicious. Uh, Something smells horribly bad about that scenario. But no one is saying, no one's out here saying, I haven't heard anybody say that what happened to George Floyd was not absolutely horrific and inexcusable. But equally horrible and inexcusable is going out and murdering two others and popping up shots and wild protests that allow blatant robbery and destruction even beyond just that one day. Heck, you've even got something as trivial as a lady walking out with a full cheesecake, just casually walking out of the store. It's total anarchy. By the way, Antifa is a joke and is a terrorist organization and must be treated as such. Any affiliation with Antifa or violent protesting warrants immediate arrest and prosecution. Now, Other cities and idiot loonies from the way far left have decided that they're jealous of the attention and want in on the action, throwing bricks at cops in towns far away from the original crime, even yelling at a black cop saying he should be ashamed of himself. Getting in their faces, pushing, breaking things, threatening and violence for hours. And you expect no retaliation? No, you want confrontation. And you deserve jail. And the rich libs bailing out people who did actually get jailed need to consider redirecting funds to the businesses destroyed by the catastrophe brought about by this insanity. I mean, what would you do if people are doing that to you as a cop? It's so baseless. Where are the facts that brought on this violence? Where were these protests during Obama administration if racism has been running rampant for a while? And this is such a major issue if that even is what they are trying to say. I don't even think half the people know what they're doing out there. Trump has this country's black unemployment rate to the lowest it's ever been, and you call him racist. Meanwhile, incompetent Biden out here not even putting full sentences together, cussing out workers in Michigan in their own factory, and said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. But let's just pretend that didn't happen. No sense. You have breached the beautiful right of free speech and peaceful protest in this great country with a pathetic display of childlessness. Yes, some try to do it the right way, but what really were they trying to say? That all white cops are racist? All whites are racist? Trump's a racist? America sucks? What is the message? I have no idea what the message is. What do, you, what do you want to be done that wasn't done? They accused the man and charged him with murder and expedited the process much quicker than normally would take, just three days through the FBI, all at Trump's direction, and fired all the cops involved. He can and will be judged to the full extent of the law. 
But to go on and on about this being a problem is stupid. 99.9% of all cops, even just all white cops, are good and they do a perfectly good job. Better than any of us in the, in the workforce. Just normal Americans trying to work hard and make a living and do, do the right thing. Am I supposed to go out and assume that because blacks are incarcerated five times more than whites, that every black is a no-good scoundrel that breaks the law? What kind of world would that be? I try to treat everyone with respect. A world without respect is, again, utter chaos. Anybody can do whatever they want to do. No one can tell them that they're wrong. There's no consequences for being wrong. There's no lines, no boundaries. The facts in official police records show that blacks are more likely to commit certain crimes than other races. That's just a fact. I looked into it today. Yet, victim reports just do not support discrimination in any way, shape, or form. Again, actual facts, not feelings, show that. So what's the connection? Well, there's no easy answer, but perhaps high poverty rates among black urban communities is a contributing factor. I don't know. You tell me. Is there racism? Sure. Blacks, whites, foreigners, all kinds of it from all sides. And I got news for you. There always has been and there always will be some of it because where you find people, you find problems because where you find people, you find sin. And sin is the root of all problems. Unrealistic to assume that every single person is going to be perfectly fine and not be racist. How can you assume that? Millions and millions of people, y'all don't think some people are going to be racist? But to loot and burn the whole world because of a few isolated incidents with a minuscule percentage is so stupid, it is not even funny, it is terribly sad. So just a search through an FBI site, the FBI site, for, for 2019 alone showed me that 48 officers were killed last year and no feds were killed, but 2,100 plus were assaulted and 300 plus of those were injured. I found from Statista.com, not the very liberal Washington Compost, that 370 whites and 235 Blacks were killed by the police. By the way, in 2017, it was 457 to 223 whites versus blacks killed by police. I think this is a discrepancy. I'm going to go out and burn stuff until someone hears me. Even if that was right, which it isn't, what would that accomplish? Nothing. It's foolish. There are more white people than blacks. So there are more whites killed. There are more blacks committing crimes because they typically live in cities and are poor, in poor communities and I guess maybe they don't want to legally work or something. I don't know. So they're killed at a higher rate. Why is that hard to see? Why does the race card have to be even played at all? We can't just look out here and say that crime happens? No, because you bring it up. And so I have to go look at the stats. Let me read a portion of an article from the National Review to you. I think you'll find this enlightening as I did. Any narrative built on a supposition of the inherent or biological inferiority of people of color has been thoroughly discredited since the civil rights movement of the 1960s, while the statistics on black crime during the period discussed by Muhammad remain valid. Black-on-black -black violent crime was excessive in the 19th century, and despite its ups and downs, has been high relative to other social groups 
throughout the 20th century and up to the present day. Writing in 1899, none other than W.E.B. Du Bois, which, by the way, is a new school opened in Louisville, named after him, he's a great champion of African-American equality. He was one of the first to note the vast problem of Negro crime, a problem that since 1880, 1880, not 1980, has been steadily growing. Du Bois was precedent. Rates of black violent crime continued to grow even before the Great Migration and the ghettos that developed in the North in the 1920s. Despite the lynchings and other mistreatment by whites in the late 19th century, black homicide was overwhelmingly carried out by other African Americans. In Savannah, Georgia, for example, from 1896 to 1903, researchers found 91 homicides in which the race of both the offender and the victim were known. 68 of the victims, which is 75% of those killed, were black and 61 African-Americans or 90% of the alleged perpetrators were arrested for these murders. In the North, where the black population was small prior to the migration, the pattern of black-on-black killing was the norm. In Philadelphia, from 1839 to 1901, two-thirds of the homicide indictments of African-Americans were for killing other persons of color. In the 20th century, the number of black victims escalated while the killers remained overwhelmingly African-American. In Memphis, from 1920 to 25, where African-Americans were 38% of the population, black-on-black killings were two-thirds of all murders in the city. An examination of coroner's files uncovered 500 homicide victims in Birmingham, Alabama between 1937 and 44. The city's population was roughly 40% black, but 85% of both the killers and the killed were African-American. In the 1940s, when the black migration resumed after a hiatus during the Great Depression, more northern cities began to reflect the increased black violence. In Cleveland, which was 16% black in the 40s, African-Americans were the victims in 71% of the felonies and the homicide cases from 47 to 53. Whites were accused in six of the cases, blacks in 320. In the contemporary period from 1976 to 2014, it is estimated that 198,288 African-Americans died nationwide at the hands of black killers. That's 5,218 deaths per year on average, roughly 19 times the annual number of deaths of African-Americans in confrontations with police. And we're out here acting like we have a race problem. When I was a kid, my best friend was black. His name was Brian. He's since moved to Lexington. He was a great basketball player. But I remember hanging out with him, and luckily I was raised in a home where uh, you know, taught to respect everybody. And so he came over and I'd go hang out with him. I currently teach black kids and I coach black players more than I have in the past, actually, because I'm now at Bartstown, which has a higher percentage. But go ask my players and students. I don't care what color they are. I treat them all the same. But now, because you can't stop crying victim, I may automatically be assumed racist by an agenda ultimately aimed at the current presidential regime. If you live in a community where there are a lot of blacks, then unfortunately, on occasion, there may be an instance where there's no choice but to shoot and vice versa, to protect yourself or others. If there are blacks committing crimes, sometimes blacks will get shot. Whites commit crimes, whites get shot. Blacks are killing each other in cities, murdering hundreds every night in gangs, and yet we have a race problem. 
That's our biggest concern. The fact is, blacks make up about 13% of the country and commit about 15 50% of the crimes, and about 97% of black deaths come at the hands of other blacks. You do the math. Lower percent of population commit more crimes and is killing itself. But yeah, let's blame white people. We kill babies, allow rape and murder through unprotected open border, and this is our concern. Man, blacks have been free longer than any of you protesting, protesting idiots have been alive. I could go on and on. These idiots are beyond need of correction and are in danger of causing us to fight a two-front war with China and amongst ourselves. See the Civil War in Germany and World War II to see how that works out. But also further threatening the potential of our country to reunite. Isn't that what's important here? Hasn't that long been our refrain that united we stand, divided we fall? Isn't it printed on our currency that we trust God? As long as many Democrats refuse to reason and be reasonable, there is no chance our country reconciles. But they don't think, they just react. They just, just follow the logic of these fools and the outcome of other tomfoolery and possibilities ensuing is endless. They are 100% emotions and feelings over facts. And that's a terrible way to live. And all this is completely insane and satanic. And I'm sick of it. All right. Having said all of that, I kind of just want to transition now into what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart in addition to what I've already said. I don't think that he didn't um, put that in me as well, but also just a biblical framework to to kind of shed light on all of that and give perspective, to give background, to give a base from which I expounded um, already with some impassioned rhetoric. A verse from Micah 6, 8 says, What does the Lord require of you? Love justice, seek mercy, walk humbly with Him. He has showed you what is good. Oh man, so walk humbly with your God. Again, as, as I've suggested, we don't have a race problem. We have a sin problem. And it has infected all of us. Sometimes my sin affects others and sometimes their sin affects my life. But because we're all sinners... We live in a world that's impacted by the consequences of sin. But what I want to say now, kind of just going off that verse, is that in no place in history has justice met mercy ever so perfectly as the scene of Christ on the cross. Justice in that God finally fully punished sin through the death of His own perfect Son. He'd never sinned. And mercy through the fact that the sinless one was able, uh, being like us, tempted like us, and yet never sinning, was able to atone or pay for our sins. And thus God redeemed us or bought us back from the price of sin, which is death, through the death of the Son on the cross. So the Gospels and the narrative of the entire New Testament is 
woven around this message, and in fact, all of Scripture ties together with this, including the Old Testament, which uh, precedes it. Um, Matthew 7, 1 says, don't be judging others, or you too will be judged. We have no right to judge because we deserve judgment. So you hear the golden rule, sometimes it's said in schools, it used to just be put up in school as a Ten Commandment, you know, to, to love God and, um, you know, do what's right. But do to others how you want them to do to you. We cannot judge because we deserve judgment also, but in Christ we have both perfect justice to condemn sin, but love sinners. And Romans 8.1, Paul writes that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because the punishment for our sin is taken away. Not that there's not still consequences for sins, and different uh, sins have different consequences, like if I murder somebody versus if I tell a lie. Both sin, both deserve uh, death, both are judgment before a perfect God in whose presence no sin can exist or enter into His domain, so no sin in heaven. But we should do like God and look past the faults of others to see their need. James 1.19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. John 13.35, By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. So it's by our love that Christians set ourselves apart. Not that we're better than others. We've just been redeemed and we've received that gift. It's, it's been offered to everyone but those who receive it by faith are the ones who get to hold to the salvation that God offers. So for the confused of you out there, I say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. The unsatisfied out there, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing, Psalm 34, 10. The bewildered out there, we have everything we need for life and godliness by His grace, 2 Peter 1, 3. So God is completely right and just and trustworthy. Look at these verses. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Job 9, 19. If it is a matter of strength, he is mighty. And if it is a matter of justice, who can challenge him? Isaiah 42, 3 and 4. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So the poor and the oppressed and whoever else in a tight circumstance. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands, the nations will put their hope. How about Amos 5.24? But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Great cry from the prophet there. That's my prayer as well. And you can be sure that it is God's character, right, and responsibility to do that. And He certainly will. One interesting note as well. Exodus 23.2, which states, Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. I think people have a tendency, further profounded by the extended lockdown that we're currently in, to let emotion build to mass unfounded hysteria. And media perpetuates this with the feeding of fear and frenzy through opinionated, biased, hate-based, not fact-based journalism. Solomon, who was the 
according to the Bible, son of David and one of the wisest, if not the wisest man to ever live, said in Ecclesiastes 3.16, In the place of judgment and justice, I found wickedness. We'll just look at what Isaiah said in 59.4. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. So my, my admonition in the midst of all of this is that you keep your head, that you keep control, that you, as is so cliche now, remain calm. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So not only do we need justice, we need mercy. Justice and mercy. And in no place else can you find those except Jesus because He perfectly embodied what justice and mercy are. Just like the fullest embodiment of goodness, truth, beauty, glory, all come from God. And any extension of that that we see stems from Him. No, no, nothing exists except by His will and all things exist through Him and by Him and for Him. So He deserves all the credit and glory. He's not sharing it with others. John Piper, uh, a now older, older guy, but actually is a pastor in Minneapolis and is one of the most famous preachers of all time in America. He also pointed out that Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 is a good prayer for us in these times. And basically it says that if you are in Jesus, you are in the light. One of the themes of John and the New Testament is light versus dark, and really the Bible has a lot of analogies, and that's a big one, including at the very beginning in Genesis. So, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. So, John Piper is one of the most famous preachers ever, and I sometimes hear his podcast if you don't uh, encourage you to listen to it. I also like Alistair Begg. Um, he, because he uses the NIV, which I grew up with, there's really no advantage to any translation. A lot of people will say, though, that the message is more of a, just a paraphrase than, a, than an actual translation because it's so loosely connected to the original texts of Greek and Hebrew. But I digress. Alistair Begg has a cool accent, uses the NIV, and does a great job teaching the Word applied. I highly recommend him. And also like Tim Keller, who is actually Presbyterian, believe it or not, uh, in New York. Uh, because he's a good teacher and also uses the NIV. Uh, but the best that I like to listen to, and especially in these times, and I really haven't been a podcaster much until the coronavirus hit. I uh, just kind of dabbled or occasionally listened here and there, but I've listened to a lot more. The best might be Herschel York. Dr. Herschel York was uh, uh, my favorite seminary professor. He just does a really good job of preparing and is a super talented speaker. He's always using illustrations that relate. Um, he's very down to earth and wise, but also solid. Um, a guy named Mark Driscoll, when I lived in China, there was one other American family in a city of a million people with me. And one time they left the city and I was the only American in the city uh, for a couple of weeks. But we used to download him and listen to him as well as James McDonald, 
Those are both excellent speakers who do a good job of staying grounded in the Word. So what about you? Do you listen to anyone? Let me know if you've got some good stuff somewhere out there. You can read further about it by searching in the Baptist Press today for an article. Um, But the five to four decision that kept the California church on lockdown in a puzzling Supreme Court decision legalizing restrictions of religious assembly may have a lasting effect for us as a country. Consider this from uh, the Cornell Law School that I found. This quote, the First Amendment guarantees freedoms concerning religion, expression, assembly, and the right to petition. It forbids Congress from both promoting one religion over others and also restricting an individual's religious practices. It guarantees freedom of expression by prohibiting Congress from restricting the press or the rights of individuals to speak freely. It also guarantees the rights of citizens to assemble peaceably and to petition their government. So I just find that in the midst of all that's been going on this past week, and frankly, for a while, some of the trends that have been the undercurrent of a lot of the liberal agenda has been a direct violation of First Amendment rights. But kind of also coupling with the last couple segments, you know the scariest Bible verse is not actually the very relevant and applicable signs of the times found in the famous Matthew 24 passage. It is not the incredibly mystifying imagery, uh, whether you take it literally or not, found in Revelation, but rather it is the warning of Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Let me read that for you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Right after that is the admonition, the same that I use to implore you. Build your house on the rock, not the sinking sand of anything other than Jesus Christ. So maybe you didn't get or grasp what that passage was saying to you. Maybe you're not scared enough, but what it said was, to kind of recap quickly and then I want to move on, is that you can be a proclaimed Christian, you can believe in God, you can go to church, give to the offering, go on mission trips, be a good person, and still go to hell. Let that sink in and reflect and consider whether or not you're saved. It's not about religion. It didn't ask you if you were Presbyterian or Baptist. It didn't ask you if you were Catholic or Mormon or Islamic. It asked, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Not about him, 
Not I've occasionally read, not Garrett teaches me in youth class, not my pastor is so-and-so, not my grandma is a Christian, not at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Do you know Jesus? Now, with all that uncertainty behind us, let us consider one of the more certain things we can rely on day after day, year after year, and that is Kentucky basketball. <laughs> it's, you know, there's, there's life, there's death, there's taxes, and there's Kentucky basketball. The most dominant program of all time with the highest winning percentage, and uh, you just really can't argue statistically against Kentucky as the greatest college men's basketball program in history. Well, hopefully we have a season this year, and I just kind of wanted to quickly take a look at what their, um, as of today, would stand their roster. Uh, so at point guard, you've got um, a kid who was a five-star and has been kind of knocked off here at the last minute to a four-star, Devin Askew um, from the West Coast. Good kid. Uh, has a lot of upside. I really, really like his intangibles, the things you can't teach, just the mentality about him, the the swag, and really he's shifty as well as a player. And one of the best shooting point guards that it looks like Cal will have had in his hands. Maybe ever. We'll see. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's hard to judge without having them in college uniforms and playing games, but on tape from YouTube, Devin Askew looks like a starter to me. But we did also have a transfer from Creighton, Davion Mintz, who was hurt last season. I hate that for him. We couldn't get as much on him, but looked like a good player. I mean, Creighton's not the finest basketball program ever, but it's really nothing to balk at either. So Davion Mintz and Devin Askew provide the point guard position. And then at the shooting guard, they look at B.J. Boston, the first consensus top five player we've had in a little while. And we have Dante Allen, who hasn't played a game to, since 2018 because he's been hurt, but a great athlete from Pendleton County. I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, Boston, to me, speaking on him for a moment, will kind of just be the make or break for us. Will he go? If he goes, we go. If he doesn't, we're probably, you know, if he's not quite as good as what they advertise, then we'll, we'll you know, we'll struggle a little bit at times and may still wind up being good like Cal always gets his teams doing well when it matters. Um, but we'll see. I, I like his stroke for the most part. Um, he needs a little polish. He needs a little muscle. He's very scrawny, but he has definite undeniable skill. And then you have um, also the shooting guard, DiGregorio and Welch, who are walk-ons that actually are really good high school players. A uh, small forward, I think, will actually be a shooting guard for us. We're going to start three guards, just off my opinion, what, you know, you put your best players out there. Terrence Clark, who was top five, fell to number seven, but we're the only school in the nation that currently has two top ten signed recruits. Behind Terrence Clark, who's a nice shooter, a nice wing, fluid game, good athlete, is Cameron Fletcher who's more um, versatile, has the potential to be a great defensive stopper. I kind of like his game. He, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Charles Matthews and guys that, you know, Mike would seem to have a tendency to transfer out. But something about him, 
I think we'll have him stick. I think he could, you know, be a combination of Keon Brooks, PJ Washington, develop through the years with a guy who takes on a role as a defensive presence like a Charles Matthews. And then you have Brennan Canada, who's nothing to balk at as a walk-on as well. Power forward, uh, Keon Brooks, the only returning player who scored a point last year. Isn't that unbelievable? Um, so obviously we're hoping for winning Gabriel-type leaps and development. He's going to hopefully be working hard in this corona time to work on his body. But he's a good kid. Everybody cheers for him. I really liked him last year. You could tell he has a lot of upside and potential. He just needs to be polished. And one of the good things about Kentucky basketball since Cal's got here is, is the hiring of, of Coach Payne who's just done a phenomenal job with our bigs. Um, I've been at some of the games that I've seen. He's doing just 45-minute intense workouts that just really look good. Don't waste any time. Get them working hard in the footwork and the skills that he develops with them. So hopefully Brooks will develop into one of those hybrid bigs. I think a lot of people like to see him on the wing. I know he can make a three, but I don't look at him, look at him like that. And I know he'll kind of, you know, if he has his sights on the NBA, will want to look more to, to that, and maybe he can make some open, more open threes and stuff. But I see him more playing power forward on this year's team primarily because he's our only returner, and we need those three talented guards to be on the floor. He's not going to play guard above them. Another kid I really liked, probably the same position, is Lance Ware uh, from, from New Jersey. He's got a great game to him. I don't care if he's four-star, three-star, whatever he is. He's four, but whatever they ranked him wouldn't matter because of the tape doesn't lie. He's got great hands. Uh, he knows where to be. You can just tell he's a smart player, and, and we're going to definitely get good things from him. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, Zan Payne, Coach Payne's son, is back. And then Jacob Toppin, fantastic get. Um, good athlete. I think he needs to be developed. He knows he needs to be developed, and he has that mindset coming in, and that's what you want to see. Kid who just wants to come and work hard, but the brother of last year's Player of the Year uh, probably won't be ruled eligible this season, but still is a good practice player. If they let us practice, you know, and have contact and all that stuff, which it looks like Kentucky's going to do late June. Um, but he, he could be a good addition to us going forward. And then at center spot, um, Isaiah Jackson, uh, the third-ranked recruit in our class, is uh, listed as a center, does some good shot blocking and great rim running, good leaper, so he dunks hard and all those things. He's a little skinny right now as well and needs to be polished, but again, he's a big man at Kentucky, which means Payne's going to work with him and he'll be fine uh, down the stretch. The question mark, two question marks really, a lot of people don't know or have forgotten, uh, Ben Jordan, who came over as a 255-pound tall baseball player. He may or may not be back with the team, and the second and biggest and most important for Kentucky fans is Olivier Saar from Wake Forest. Um, Jamaro Baker last year and Quade Green the year before both got sit out year uh, sit out a year waived by the NCAA and so did Mac McClung recently this year. So hopefully Olivier Saar is ruled eligible and hopefully at least the NCAA will make a decision in time for Calipari to replace him with other recruits, uh, potentially a reclassification, somebody like Paulo Bancaro or whoever. But they probably won't do that if Saar is ineligible when it is finally deemed a ruling. Mark it down as another great injustice done to the UK Hoops program, right up there with John Higgins and the Wisconsin shot clock no call in the final minutes of the game on a 38-0 team. Uh, yes, I'm still bitter. But if 
Olivier Saar is rightly ruled eligible. Mark it down that barring injuries, corona, or something else beyond basketball, the Cats will be a very real threat to finally rein in a title again this season. In closing, uh, everyone, I think, is just ready to open up and rock out and kind of be done, put the coronavirus stuff behind us. Um, need a beach or a different relaxing scene, need something uh, than, than the one we normally have. So I just finished uh, as of Friday, my first official full year at Barstown Middle School, and very glad that NIT is over with, at least for now it appears to be done behind us. But I'm afraid, you know, the events that we've been seeing in our country may actually lead us to an easy return of NTI, the program whereby kids did work from home and teachers were contacting students and everything is still kind of up in limbo, including sports, which very much seem to be either way. It could go either way, where we have it or not, especially high school football. I just heard a, a local high school say today that there'll be no balls used at least till after dead period on July 15th. There's no getting in the building. There's temperature checks with documentation. There's no carpooling, no water fountains, only permanent isolation groups of up to nine at a time and a bunch of other strange hurdles with the threat of immediately being fired from all positions upon breach, proof of breach. So unfortunate, but we'll see how things play out. Uh, We have way bigger fish to fry at this point, and I'm just glad as a Christian, I don't have to worry about any of this. Angered and disappointed? Yeah, yeah. Disillusioned or in despair? No way, Jose. Jesus is the king, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. He's still in control. So I bid you farewell and hope you enjoy the Big Facts podcast. If you didn't, that's perfectly fine. And uh, that's part of the beauty of freedom in America. Freedom of speech, baby. So you guys have a good day, and God bless.